I just like to switch voices sometimes, you know? <laughs> so, like, I don't even... I was going to try to do the British voice, but, like, I can't. Like, I can't think See, of... See, that's cool and all, but we're doing a podcast. And is that, it, though? And, and, that, it... and that necessitates kind of a... Uh, we literally had a discussion, I forget where, where we don't do Did voices we? on the podcast. Either in I the... don't know, I think we should do voices on the podcast, because I think it makes it a more interesting situation. Like, we could have, like, four people talking instead of just just one or two you want to introduce me to your to your british friend there Juan? i don't know um i don't think Juan is able to introduce people at the moment so who am i speaking Um, with if not one i i haven't (laughs) you haven't workshopped this character my name is hugh grant (laughs) Uh, uh, i don't even sound like hugh grant right now what's up hugh grant I'm perfectly comfortable just rolling with it. I really liked you in um, Ken Russell's Lair of the White Worm. Thank you. It's, it's, it's one of my preferred performances. So welcome to episode 29 of Stuck in the Middle with You, a podcast where two guys take a look at a critically divisive film and see on what side of the consensus they fall on. My name is Derek Gade, and I have a special guest today. It's Hugh Grant, ladies and gentlemen. You know what? I don't, <laughs> I don't need this kind of antagonism in my life. Uh, um, I feel personally attacked, <laughs> and oh my god! That's you know, great. I feel like I feel like this really plays into the themes we're going to be discussing in our film today, because our film is all about friends who are fighting, and that is <laughs> us. I mean, we were literally talking a while ago, either like on a Skype chat or like in the Dim the House Light Slack about doing voices on our podcasts and not doing them and out comes Juan out of the gate with this really with this Hugh Grant impression <laughs> I mean in fairness I I was just doing it because it's fun uh <laughs> it's not even a Hugh Grant impression I just he was the first British person who came to my fucking mind <laughs> which I think says like fucking volumes about you does it though does it I mean where do you rank Notting Hill on like the um, excuse me, who said I was thinking of Notting Hill? I find it like What were you thinking I find of it then? reductive that you would think that is my go to Hugh Grant movie. What is your go to Hugh Grant movie? Um it's like a toss up between music and lyrics and Bridget Jones' diary. Oh yeah, he was in that shit. I forgot about that. Oh my god, like the other day on film Twitter, everyone went on this big thing about like loving music and lyrics and i felt so at home with other people for once in my life on film twitter i have not <laughs> seen music and lyrics surprisingly oh, it's Absolutely so fucking no good one. it has such good music it's like but i do like drew, drew barrymore, barrymore and hugh grant it's so good it's so i love it i love it it has like the best wham parody of all time i'm gonna send it to you later r.i.p george it's Michael. called pop goes my heart uh, goes but we're not here to talk about music and lyrics, which may or may not have close to a fifty percent rating. I feel like that's a movie that would have close to fifty percent rating on Rotten Tomatoes. It probably would, but that's a shame that it doesn't. But we are here to talk about Death Becomes Her. That's right. Uh, directed by Robert Zemeckis, released in 1992. And this was my Christmas present to you, Juan. And I don't want to say that I got a lump of coal because I didn't. But I didn't you really didn't like I, fuck I, off like I but I didn't get the gift I wanted. Uh I got the gift I wanted. I got something decent. But, you know, I got a super awesome rewatch of one of my <laughs> favorite movies. So yeah, I was kind of hot and cold on this one and one you really like this movie. So I'll leave you the honors. What the fuck is Death Becomes Her about? So Death Becomes Her is about a 
Oh my god, where do I start? Where do I start? Oh, okay, so... It's not a super hmm. thick plot. I mean... Um, I don't know. I don't know. I think a lot of shit happens. Uh, okay, so... It is about uh, Madeline Ashton, who is an actress on, like, it opens with, like, this ultra campy, awful musical. Super cheesy. It's, like, the worst thing in the world, but it's so over the top, and it, like, really sets the tone. My literal first thought was, this kind of sucks, but one would love this. Yeah, I ate that shit up. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Okay, so played by Meryl Streep, and she is, like, this very narcissistic, manipulative human being, and she sees she invites her or no she doesn't invite her friend like her friend who's like um like this modest woman uh i think the word, i think the word you're looking for is mousy because they try yes, mousy they try real hard to make uh goldie Hawn look kind of dumpy yeah they really do even though she still looks pretty cute i mean yeah <laughs> I mean, it's Goldie Hawn. This kind of leads into, like, my problems with the movie, but we'll get to Okay, we will we'll discuss this in a moment. Yes, so Goldie Hawn as Helen and her fiancé, a plastic surgeon named Ernest, which is played by Bruce Willis. In the, the Colin Farrell in the lobster role. Yeah, basically. Like, <laughs> oh, so good, so good. Um, I, much, I, I will say, I much prefer Willis here to, to Farrell in the lobster. Okay, they're both wonderful for individual reasons that I will not get into right now. Uh, <laughs> but... Um, so Madeline steals Ernest away from Helen and then Helen becomes like obsessed (sighs) with getting back at her and plotting revenge. Okay. And that's, that's, that's like the basic plot. We will get into the rest of it later, including why the movie is named Death Becomes Her because it's It's such a, it's it's a pun. pun. It's a pun. It's a, it's a, it has double meaning. It's a good pun. I mean, that's the kind of pun you write a movie around. I mean, granted. Yeah, honestly. But, um, so yeah, this is basically a darkly comic, kind of Tales from the Crypt-esque, ostensible comedy. Uh, And uh, since this is a Robert Zemeckis movie, it wouldn't be a Robert Zemeckis movie without some kind of, like, technical gimmick. And the technical gimmick here being the special effects. Admittedly, they do look really sweet. There's something really weird about... Well, we'll get to that kind of organically. As the plot unfolds. As the plot unfolds. Thank you. Yes. Now, I think that this movie kind of soured me right at the at the top and n- never fully got me back. Because, like, after... Um, so this is, like, this is how the plot goes. Uh, Bruce Willis and Meryl Streep get married. And yeah, uh, Goldie Hawn becomes this sort of this this like vengeful, uh, obsessed like you know every bad psycho lady uh, trope, and it's not not enough that that happens. Like there's like you know a cutaway to her in like a fat suit. There's like this giant <laughs> like lol look at her fat ass shot, which is like like kind of really bad and made me feel really bad. And it's like Goldie Hawn in a fat suit watching this hor- – like in her fucking like decrepit apartment with like 50 cats in it. And I'm like, this really sucks. This is like really unfortunate that they're doing this. And not that – I mean, okay. So like quick, quick comment on that. Like it was the early 90s. I feel like that was like – I don't want to say like a different time for comedy, <laughs> but it was kind of a different time for comedy. It was in that the 90s were very hacky and a lot of comedy was very bad. Okay, but do you not feel like that 
concept of like her wearing the fat suit and like her just it, like going to that full extreme opposite of who she was. Like I, admi- like, I admire like the technical wizardry of like the fat suit and all that. But I don't well, like... not just that, but do you not think it plays into the themes of like beauty as a concept ruining the lives of women? I think it tries to do that. I don't know how well it succeeds. Because it succeeds pretty well. And it and it definitely doesn't help the fact that as she's being dragged out of her apartment because of like, you know, late rent payments, not only is she like watching a tape of Meryl Streep's character getting fucking choked out by Michael Caine in uh, what I have to admit is a very inspired cameo. It really is. And it's such a nice little like Hitchcock type film for him to like, it's literally like a Hitchcock knockoff. And there, but not only that, I mean, she's being dragged away eating Betty Crocker like cake yes. shit. And I don't, that's just like, the, and this is supposed to be funny, I guess. I thought it was amazing. I thought I it know. was. I thought it was very unfortunate, which was confirmed by the fact by this whole next sequence at the psychiatric hospital, where it's like, yeah, let's have the shrink fucking yell at her. Yeah, and I'm not down with that. And I think the first 15 minutes soured me to the point where I couldn't get on board for the next hour and a half. Uh, well, I think that's fair. I mean, like I said at the top, I admire like the technical wizardry of the film. There are like bits and pieces of this movie I really like. And here's the thing. Here's the secret sauce of the whole operation. I don't think Meryl Streep is that funny. I don't like it when Meryl Streep. I don't like it when Meryl Streep plays broad, especially when she's up against Goldie Hawn, who plays mean about a million times better in this movie. Okay. Well, we're going to have a little problem here. Okay. Because how dare you? Uh, as someone who thinks Meryl Streep is overrated, much like uh, our president elect a certain does. a certain politician. <laughs> I mean, um, like, I mean, I mean, not to say that Meryl Streep is bad by any stretch of the imagination. No, not at all. But I, I love Meryl think Streep she's not. All she's head. not that good. No, I think she's very good. I, I think she's think good. They give her awards for things that she doesn't deserve them for. But anyway, like that awards that should be going time. to other actresses her age because I mean yes. they're all working too, right? Yes, but um, I don't think she's really funny. Like she has, she has no, a I very, think she, is. she has a very kicky way of acting funny. Okay, but I think if you settle into that, I think you, I mean it depends on whether or not you enjoy that kind of acting, I guess. And I do. And here's the thing: I'm not saying that you know that Goldie Hawn or Bruce Willis were going method for this, but I definitely thought that Goldie Hawn was the superior of the two female leads, and I really like Bruce Willis playing Dumpy. Okay, but like, see, my thing about Meryl Streep's character that I think you're also, I guess, kind of like not overlooking necessarily, but kind of I don't think you're giving her enough credit is that she is technically playing a character who would be that kind of persona. She is an actress, first and foremost, a failing actress who is like desperately trying to hold on to that career. And I think like... I think she plays that so well. I think both of the women play their role. All, I think all three of them are magnificent in this, honestly. Not to mention, like, there's also another actress that we have not mentioned yet because we haven't gotten to that point. But, like, I think all three of them are excellent in this movie. I mean, I will agree with two of those. And not to say that Meryl Streep was bad. I just didn't like her in this movie. I didn't like, I didn't like her acting choices. Let's put it that way. The way she chooses to act funny or flippant. Okay. Doesn't work for me. I mean, that's fair. Like, that's uh, that's fine. I don't agree. I think she's... Again, I think she's 
playing to that role. I think it's like a very vain character. It's like a little breathy, but not really. It's very much like the atypical, like what you expect of a Hollywood starlet who's like very vain in a movie. And like, I dig that. And also like a failing one, because I mean, the like the entire second shot of the movie is just like the slow two and a half minute shot. That's like half musical number, half audience walking out. And then like, honestly, like, I think that like bit of Bruce Willis just saying she's sensational is like that. Like, I think that was the moment I knew like, hey, I adore this movie. Like, (laughs) like I'm sold on like that's that hits my wavelength. It's like you start with like a shitty disco number, like abysmal. And then you go to like Bruce Willis just like being astounded at the bit it's great i love it i love it anyway uh (laughs) so much about this movie is about playing things up and i'm like that's what i'm here for like it's it's weird because i'm down with like sort of the 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 comic gothic accents in this film Mm -hmm. i like the sort of i like the way that this movie uses architecture to sort of play that up Oh my god! That it plays like internal space, like just staircases that go on for days, and buildings that are like fifteen times as high as they are wide. And I liked all of that. I like Goldie Hawn. I like Bruce Willis. Like, there's one my favorite shot in the movie is when Bruce Willis. Okay, so the gimmick of the movie is that, uh, so Meryl Streep, failing actress, goes and sees a smoking hot Isabella Rossellini in this movie. Mm-hmm. That was just that just knocked me on my ass. She's so perfect. She's uh, really she's good. also magnificent in this. She's so good at comedy. And I feel like people don't appreciate that enough. And I feel like not I mean like lately I think people have been realizing it more and more, but like I need her in more films, honestly. I mean she's still around, she's still working. No, she is. She was in Joy. She was the only good part of no, that's not true. She wasn't the only good part of Joy. She was entirely misplaced in Joy, but she was delightful in Joy. Uh, I mean, green porno. She's always in uh, Guy Madden stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, she was in something else recent. Oh, she was on Thirty Rock, like what, like a decade ago now. Uh, was this so, the period of time when she was dating uh, David Lynch? This movie, yeah, I think was right after she okay. dated David Lynch. I'm fairly confident it was after. But no, she's excellent. But uh, as go go on as you were saying about the plot. Uh yeah, the gimmick of the movie is that Isabella Rossellini is like this like this this ageless witch type person, like a mystic mm-hmm. who uh has an uh, elixir that can, you know, stop the aging process and you know, t- tuck all your saggy bits to the way they were before. And yep. Meryl Streep gets her <laughs> hands on it and the gimmick is that she well, she can't die. Spoiler alert, she breaks her neck in fairly f- spectacular fashion like Yes, as you were like to slide back to the the staircase bit that you were talking about, mm-hmm. like how staircases can seem endless. The bit where she falls down the stairs is like entirely Looney Tunes style. To the like, it's just like she just keeps falling and falling and falling, and like you see her dead in the background of the shot, and slowly but surely she starts like she getting starts up back. and twisting around, and it's like this horrific moment happening in the background while these two characters are talking in the foreground and it's so well done like it's so good i love it i love it it's, i mean also it's, it's played for laughs because this is this movie like her head's on backwards like her neck is her neck is all fucked up yeah 
Yeah, I mean, my favorite shot of the movie is like when Bruce Willis like pulls her out of the morgue after they see Sidney Pollock, and mm-hmm. another inspired little cameo. Sidney Pollock is really good in this. He's Sidney Pollock's a really good actor. Go figure. I know, I know. And um, <laughs> and he's at the morgue, and he realizes that Meryl Streep is still alive, in spite of the fact that you know all known science would have her pronounced dead. And it's kind of just a quick zoom onto his head, and he points his finger up in the air like he's a fucking rock star and says it's a miracle and then there's like a thunderclap <laughs> that's really good i really like that it's so good it's so and again like a lot of the stuff that you were saying uh just like a second ago is like so many of the special effects in this movie or the practical effects were both both because it's a mixture of both um it's just like you can tell how much fun everyone in this movie was having I don't know, I think about the way that, like, if you remade this movie today, it would seem so frustrating to me, because it would be all of these, like, uncomfortable visual effects that are, like, too realistic and stuff, and I feel like that wouldn't work as well as the cartoonish nature of this. Like, the reason why all of, like, these old movies by, like, Robert Zemeckis and Jim Henson and Frank Oz and Joe Dante are, like, so good is because of all this practical work and like slight mixture of special but like or visual like whatever it's funny you bring up joe dante because i brought up joe dante in my in my letterbox review of this which you have your letterbox review that's that i that you have apparently pulled up to use as a to use as leverage against me (laughs) no i'm not going to use a leverage against you we've already disagreed it's fine but uh i i did say and i still believe this that i really 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 wish that someone with a more keen cartoon visual sense like Joe Dante or someone with like a, a sharper satirical mind like Joe Dante or if we go the more horror route like just a gross out guy like Stuart Gordon would have done this movie and I could totally see Stuart Gordon doing this movie but I think a Stuart Gordon version of this movie would be so wildly different it would well, probably wouldn't be as funny no not at all but I do think like I think Robert Zemeckis is, is at his best element when he's making things as cartoonish as possible or like engaging in like highly technical feats. And I think this is a little bit of both. I agree honestly. with the second part. Because when he really wants to get cartoony, he brings in help. He didn't bring on help this time. Like when I think cartoony Zemeckis, when he get, really gets his like sort of Looney Tunes mojo on, you think of Who Framed Roger Rabbit, right? Of course. But he brought on Richard Williams, the god Richard Williams, to do the animation on that. That's true. But he's no stranger to collaboration. He works very closely with a lot of, of uh, with a lot of the same people. Yeah. So I'm thinking that there's a version of this movie that's better because Zemeckis can focus on the tech shit and then other people can handle the cartoons. See, I don't know if I would agree with that because I do think he does such an excellent job at being cartoonish. Like like this version of this movie is not the best version of this movie. <laughs> I don't agree. <laughs> I don't agree at all. I think this is like absolutely the best version of this movie. And again, like I do think like I think so much of the cartoonish stuff works. I think it's so perfectly over the top. Like it's and like so many of the jokes just land so well for me. Like one of my favorite bits is um I mean like when when uh what's his name? Uh Bruce Willis like towards the end he's like self-sacrificing so he'll never have to deal with um these two awful women who like so what happens throughout the movie is that he, they end up like forcing Bruce Willis since he's a plastic surgeon to continue to like 
re- like renovate them essentially. Oh, spoiler alert! Um, um, like we should fill in a plot hole here. Meryl Streep takes the fucking the potion from Isabel that will like make her la- live forever, and Goldie Hawn has also taken that, and she has also taken it, and that's the big twist. I mean, well, you you, you kind of know, but that's the twist, and uh, yeah, so continue. So he's like about to self-sacrifice and then he dives or he like falls backwards. You think he's going to die. And then he falls through this like giant window. That's just like the creation of Adam. And it's such like, it's such a good moment for the the remainder of the film because it immediately like cuts after that. Like he lives and then he ends up getting away from them. And it's like him falling through the window. That is the giant painting of the creation of Adam is just this like rebirth for his character. To the point where the funeral that ends the the film, it's the most ridiculous. It's it's just these people talking up how magnificent he was, and we don't get we're, the, we're not privy to any of this, not at all. Like it's just literally like a discussion of like him at his funeral. It's like the whole film is about like eternal youth and what we'll, we're willing to do to get it. And then a uh, priest is like this teacher, this benefactor, this uh, something had in his own way discovered the secret of eternal life and it's here among us in the hearts of his friends and the secret of eternal youth and the lives of his children and his grandchildren and it's so like (laughs) it's such a good smart funny way to end this movie that has literally been about like two women trying to kill each other because they both want eternal beauty and they want this man who will help them maintain that eternal beauty and youth and it's great i love it i love it and the ending reminds me a little bit of nothing in like these two being stuck together forever oh, yeah in, yeah especially with their heads like just on the floor uh <laughs> yeah that's true i didn't even think of that but that's true throwback but, but you say funny i thought movie is making the classic mistake of explaining its themes right at the end <laughs> oh no i thought it was i thought it was a really funny way of like it's like the conclusion, par- like the concluding paragraph of your essay. Yeah, you know? I know, but have you? When was the last time you read an essay with a concluding paragraph like that? That was good. Okay, but like that was a good one. <laughs> I feel like that's a good example of a concluding. <laughs> I don't know if I like like the movie could have just ended with the funeral and like eulogies and shit, and he didn't have to sit like. I think this has just become like the the toughest thing to explain. One of the toughest things to explain is why you find something funny. Comedy yes, is really is. hard to explain. And it's very, very personal. Comedy is wildly personal, yes. And I think this is a classic example of it. Whereas I found a lot of this movie kind of amusing. You thought this movie was like A-plus comedy would watch again, right? I, I've i seen this movie so many times. And I don't plan on revisiting it unless I do like sort of a, like a Zemeckis rewatch or something. Well, my thing is like I always end up like finding like little jokes that I like may not have heard or like I'll see like little bits of like performance that I appreciate more. Like this time around, I really, really like I fell further in love with um with Isabella Rossellini because like, again, I keep on further realizing like, oh, my God, like she is such a talented comedy actress. And She's I really do good. think she was the standout for me this this viewing of it and i think robert zemeckis takes such advantage of rosalini as both like a sexual figure and a comic figure and like you know like where lynch plays on her fragility and her beauty in blue velvet 
Zemeckis makes her this like gorgeous figure who wields that beauty and like showcases her talent for deadpan like way like way before she started using it as frequently as she does now like I think this really really was such a big step for her in like wielding that comedy and as much as we're talking about comedy being tough to like nail that sort of comic ironic dark tales of the crypt tone is also really hard to nail yes and the movie does it a lot but doesn't stick the landing like we were talking about it's not just a matter of it being funny i think they kind of like just slip and stumble a little bit i'm not wild about the on the nose ending i feel like i just need to push you down a staircase honestly i feel like that would solve all of our problems and i don't think that's funny uh well i mean that's fine (laughs) (sighs) comedy's hard man i mean i like here's the thing though i wouldn't go as far as to say that this movie is bad because it's not but i will say that it's not for me well that's fair because i'm a mature person i'm a grown man and i can know when things aren't for me necessarily yes i don't disagree i think that's fine you know like it's cool that you (laughs) you don't care for it um and you're gonna say something pithy to sort of no, i'm not me. i'm not i'm honestly not I, I, okay. I think i don't agree with you but you know like i genuinely i love this movie i like i could rewatch this forever i think it has so many good quotes you know like flaccid gosh so she says so fucking well uh, i love it i love it i love it when she's like freaking out because she can see her ass it's great i love it and then, like, again, like, Sidney Pollack has some, like, good fucking, like, bits that, like, in, like, such a minor role. Yeah, he's in this movie for, like, five minutes, but they're, like, five of the best minutes in the movie. Yeah, I know. They're so, oh, so good. I think um, Willow Caitlin on Letterboxd was, like, a favorite thing I caught on rewatch was Sidney Pollack saying, whoopsie, upon hearing that Meryl <laughs> Streep had broken her neck falling down a flight of stairs. And, like, yeah, like, that's one of those bits that I just, I, I eat up so easily. You it's, know, it's... Like, I don't find myself thinking about Eyes Wide Shut that often. But when oh I do, God. but when I do, I think of Sidney Pollack. I think of just that whole um, scene in the pool room. Um, first of all, first of fucking all, how dare you? Wait a minute, how wait a minute, hold on. How dare you? I mean, I don't think about movies all the time, contrary to popular belief. No, but like, that's the scene you think of when you think I of mean, Eyes Wide I've... Shut? I like Sidney Pollack. I mean, Pollack. like, you... <laughs> I like Sidney Pollack as an actor. Okay, but, like, Eyes Wide Shut is literally my favorite Kubrick film. How dare you? Like... <laughs> I mean, there's lots of good scenes in that movie, but I li- I really like how foreboding the scene with Sidney Pollack is. No, I think it's excellent. I think it's so good. But, like, I would not say that's, like, the thing I think of whenever I think hey, of hey, Eyes Juan, Wide Shut. Hey, hey, Juan. It's almost as if we're two different people who read movies. What? I don't understand what subjectivity is. <laughs> I hey, have no speak, idea what you're talking about. Speaking of about. Eyes Wide Shut, two things actually about Eyes Wide Shut. One, have you did you tell the story of how you came about to seeing this movie for the first time on the pod? I have no idea, but I can say it really quickly now. Um the first time I ever saw Eyes Wide Shut, story, I was y'all. ten years old. Uh <laughs> I was in a hotel room in Orlando because we were all at Disney and I was sick and my family went out to eat food. And they left me alone in the hotel, and I was slipping through channels. And then all of a sudden, I stumble onto this, like, really weird, ominous movie with, like, oh, 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 playing in the background. I'm like, oh, shit, this is fucking weird. And (laughs) 
I leave it on and all of a sudden I see like just like naked women like bowing and doing shit and people with masks and like coats and and cloaks and shit and I'm just like oh my god what is happening and I just kept watching and I like I'm pretty sure I saw like a solid like hour if not hour and a half of the movie before my family got back and I was so engrossed and fascinated and ended up finding out what the movie was and then later on in life I saw it again in full and it was I'm pretty positive that's what like traumatized me and made me the human being I am today it's like my favorite story isn't it isn't it such a good story <laughs> like i love that like <laughs> it's not so much that you can't happen upon it when you were 10 sick in a hotel room is that you fucking toughed 90 minutes of it when you were 10 sick in a hotel room i mean like i don't know what the fuck i thought when i was a 10 year old watching that movie but like i'm fairly convinced it fucked me up i can definitely tell you what i was thinking of when i was 10 years old damn how about them digimon I like Digimon. Oh my god. I mean, same though. I love Digimon. <laughs> I love Pokemon. I love all things. Uh, but you know what else I love? This movie? Death Becomes Her? Yeah. <laughs> I mean... Oh, also, also, speaking of Isabella Ros- uh, Rosalini and David Lynch back, uh, back, backtracking, uh, okay. at one point they take... They say that they're going to take her to the top of Mulholland Drive. <laughs> and like, I legitimately, I was like, oh my God, I'm secretly convinced that David Lynch loves this movie because he saw it right after he and Isabella broke up and he missed her. And that's how he inevitably came up with his own film about Hollywood and vanity and abusive relationships. Cough, cough, Mulholland Drive. I like this idea. Right? Isn't it? <laughs> I'm glad that, like, my shitty narrative about <laughs> about David Lynch creating Mulholland Drive. You, you, you call it what it is. Call it a headcanon or call it what it really is. Fan fiction. Yeah, I'm all here for, like, Death Becomes Her being the reason David Lynch created Mulholland Drive. That's so weird. But, uh, no, my my second Eyes Wide Shut question was, whatever happened to Lily Sobieski? I have no idea. I remember her being a big deal in the late 90s. Really? Yeah. I don't remember the late 90s because I'm young. Well, I'm, I mean, I'm young, too. I was around. You were out watching fucking Eyes Wide Shut when you were 10, asshole. It's true. God bless me. So let's skip ahead to, to, uh, to final ratings. Final yeah, I guess so. Final oh, judgments. actually, I did want to make a, like, a quick shout out to like the makeup design by Dick Smith and the prosthetics makeup supervisor, Kevin Haney. Got to give credit where credit um, is due. That's some good special effects. Yeah, and like the special body effects uh, were designed and created by Tom Woodruff Jr. and Alex Alec Gillis. And like, mind you, these two men worked on like Predator, The X Files, Jumanji, Hollow Man, Spider Man, uh, Terminator, Aliens. Hollywood Alien technicians 3. aren't um, discriminate. I think no, not at all. But like these, like these fucking roles are just so like all of these movies are so. Well, not all of them are so good, but like a lot of them are like very cool. But okay, so wait for it. Tom Woodruff Jr. was the puppeteer for guess which movie? Legend? No. Uh, Grown Ups 2. Oh my god. <laughs> pup- wait, there were puppets in that movie? Oh, for the, Apparent- oh, oh, the deer at the beginning the of the fucking, fucking movie. <laughs> oh my god. So a long time ago, Derek wrote a review of Grown Ups 2, which you should all go read on dimthehouselights.com. It is the bane of my website existence. website for film criticism that we both write for. <laughs> Yeah, I wrote that review like a few years ago, and I think it's still my post- most popular piece on that website. <laughs> I love it. I love it. It's a magnificent opening sentence paragraph. For some reason, people like it when I'm angry. 
I but... know, it's so good. But like the fact that this man was a puppeteer for the deer in Grown Ups 2 is a very emotional thing for us. So That's you should wild. absolutely go read that review if you're listening to this this podcast. So yeah. So yeah, uh, Final Judgments on Death Becomes Her by Robert Zemeckis. I obviously give it a fresh. I think it's an <laughs> excellent film and you should all watch it. Go ahead, Derek. I mean, there's a lot to like in this movie, but I just couldn't I just couldn't get past the first start, kind of 15 minutes of it. Some of the comedy works and a lot of it doesn't for me. And Mel Streep ain't all that hot in this movie. So, I mean, I'm going to give it a fresh because I didn't think it was a bad movie, but it's a more qualified recommendation than once. I guess that's fair. Uh, but it got a double fresh, so I don't give a fuck. Uh, that feels good. That so it's recommendation so time. Yes, it is. And since this was my pick, you get to go first. Okay, so since musicals have been a point of discussion recently... Oh, I'm really? Actually, <laughs> where, have you, where have you been these days? Have you been, perchance, um, on Twitter? On Twitter? What? <laughs> I don't... La La Land is a white jazz savory movie? What? Huh? Hot takes? What? I don't... It isn't, but whatever. We're not going to get into You want to hear my La La Land hot take real quick? You think it's fine? I think it's fine. What? That's crazy, Derek. I'm sorry. That's, I that's think it's too okay. hot for this podcast. Too goddamn hot. There's stuff to like in that movie, but there's a lot I don't, so it's fine. Well, you know what's a really good musical, though? What's a good musical, though? Oh, yeah, this is not the first time this uh, this uh, this has been referenced on one of our podcasts. Yes, I actually think... Um, well, obviously... Okay, so Woody Allen wrote and directed Everyone Says I Love You. It's a very super simple but like really enjoyable really well-mounted uh musical i really i really like it um but the thing is all of most not all of the actors sing super well so they all sound like real people much like emma stone sounds like a real human being in la la land but people are like oh she can't sing but whatever that's a different story um but goldie hawn obviously can actually sing so like woody allen had her like tone like bring it down a few fucking notches because like she had to sound like a normal person and um and i think it's so good her rendition of i'm through with love is like magnificent the opening number with edward norton uh my baby just cares for me it's so good um i, I love this movie i love it it's by far one of my favorite woody allen movies and i think it's not talked about nearly enough when it comes to his career and it also has like an amazing cast including like drew barrymore julia roberts um tim roth other people natasha leone <laughs> gabby hoffman natalie portman other uh, alan alda i don't remember who else <laughs> i'm trying to like think I mean, of other people you don't have enough. to list out the whole cast no i don't obviously anyway so that's my recommendation what's yours derek I, i'm gonna keep it nice and simple i'm gonna recommend die hard oh it's, god you're such a basic straight boy it's <laughs> it's literally one of the best action films of the 1980s it's what made bruce willis bruce willis alan rickman's really good in it john mctiernan is a very good director no one ever thinks of him as a good director but he is i assure you Mm-hmm. It's a really good movie. It is piss simple, but it is ex- it's airtight, perfectly executed. It's I can't say anything more about Die Hard that hasn't already been said for the last Die Hard years. is a brilliant movie. Die Hard yes. is amazing. I mean, uh, basic straight boy or not, it's a fucking brilliant movie. Yep. So yeah, I mean, 
I mean, for the love of God, if you have not seen Die Hard, please watch Die Hard. Please do. Honestly, it's an excellent, excellent, excellent film, and I actively recommend it. So, so Juan, you didn't tell me what we're doing next time, and I'm very curious. Oh, did I not? Nope. I thought I did. You said that you picked it, but you didn't say what it was. Okay, so um, one of my favorite actresses is getting a lot of recognition this year, finally, uh, in the United States. Is this is this Isabelle Huppert? Uh, yes, it is Isabelle Huppert, and she's perfect in every single way. And there was this movie she did a few years ago. It is literally the only film in her entire career, which is so long and excellent and she's been around with... for a very long, very long time yes and she's she been doing is... this shit for like 40 years easy she is arguably the best actress of her generation um but she did this film in 2013 called tip top and i have absolutely no idea what it's about outside of like it involves like police and i'm pretty sure it's like a comedy I have no sure. idea what this is. Literally don't know what the fuck it's about. Um, but it's called Tip Top. It's by Serge or Sergei Bozon. Um Is this a French film? We're gonna be going to France? Yes it is. Oh uh, my god. Uh, <laughs> so we're gonna visit the we're gonna visit the old continent, the, 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 the land of my ancestors. I mean we've done like fucking Jean Luc Godard's films, like we've done two already, like I think we're okay. Like we done we did the Godard film, but that Godard film was about the stones. Yes. And then we did um Aria which featured him. Yeah, I guess, well that's not that's yeah, I guess that was sort of a French co-production. So I guess so next time we're going to do this movie I've ne- literally never heard of. <laughs> um Tip Top uh released in 2013 directed by Sergei Bozon. So now that the podcast is over, you can also find us as previously mentioned on dimthehouselights.com our film criticism website that we started nearly three years ago. Oh, man. <laughs> I know. Isn't it our little, wonderful? Our little baby is growing. Oh, so much. It's wonderful. You can also read a little bit from our other writers, uh, Michelle Arf, Ross Burks, and Chris Mello. Two of these lovely individuals also have a podcast that you should be listening to called Reloading the Canon. Those would be Ross and Michelle. It's a lovely show. Yeah, they just put out an episode on Bound, so that's going to be it. You can also find us at the Miami New Times for me and for at Montreal Schlock City for Derek. You can also, also find us on Twitter and Letterboxd under the same exact usernames, which are Derek underscore G and Woah, W-O-A-H, it's Juanito. Thank you, and have a lovely, <laughs> lovely evening. Jesus Christ, Juan. I thought you were going to have an aneurysm while you were doing that. <laughs> I got to go check on Juan's like heart rate right now, but I can't do that because... Beep. 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 <laughs> this motherfucker is going into just right into the Atlantic Ocean. He's going on a cruise. I mean, I might go actually into the Atlantic Ocean. Good it's Lord. a strong consideration. But hopefully he will make it back uh, from his cruise in one piece so that we will be able to see you as a pair in two weeks. All right. Peace out. Love ya. <laughs>